It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Hello, everybody. I'm back from Indianapolis, and welcome to Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. I am... John Schmelk, joined by Lance Meadow and Paul Dottino, the phone number, and we did not do your calls all week last week, so we will certainly get to them today, hopefully sooner rather than later, at 201-939-4513. I am tired, I am exhausted, but I am back. Paul, Lance, you guys should be like ready to go after a refreshing week, you didn't have to deal with me. I mean, you guys must be feeling great right now, I would imagine, right? Well, it wasn't as if I was sitting around on my couch the entire week. You know, Lance, I saw you doing that Columbia game solo the other day. I, I had the primetime game uh, at Wagner, and you had a game a couple of games earlier than me on SNY, and you were solo. Solo. Correct. Yes, I was indeed. What, what happened? Well, partner got parasites at the last second, so when that comes for real? up. Yeah, no, for real. Yeah, That's terrible. Yeah, that was uh, unfortunately what developed, so. Were those uh, Lance Meadow parasites so that you could do the game by yourself? No, not at all. It was just one of those last-second developments where there just wasn't enough wow. time to get somebody anyway, to my, fill in. My yeah. heart bled for you because I know that's not an easy thing to do. And then, uh, you know, anyway. Anyway, I was more referencing the fact that you guys didn't have to deal with me for a week, which I thought well, would make you I guys mean, feel very happy. Well, silver lining, right. but, I mean, I was just saying of course. we weren't just no, sitting of around. Course not. I know. You know it is, it, it is, it, it is yes. heavy bas- college basketball season, absolutely, 100%. Uh. All right, guys, so – um. Let's get to it here. I think they've heard enough from me, and I think they kind of got my feel from all the content from last week at the Combine. Uh, so, Paul, I guess I'll start with you. As someone that's usually out there and you like to try to figure things out, do you have any questions you kind of want to pepper me with for anything I might have found out out there that maybe uh, you didn't hear last week? I'm, I'm more interested in the logistics of how it went, John, because, you know— This year, NFL Network did more live coverage than they've ever done before. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and I was incredibly impressed with with how much they did. Uh, But what they what they still didn't give me a feel for is how the logistics of everything went and how much of it changed or didn't change. Because the memo came out from the NFL last week that all the protocols have now been pushed to the side, and I was blown away when I saw the memo. And I was wondering what were you going through out there during the week? Was it the same as what it was when we went a couple of years ago? It was exactly the same as two years ago. For real? It could have been a carbon copy. I'm the I'm first surprised. day you probably had thirty or forty percent of the media wearing masks. By day two or day three, you're down to about like ten percent or so, give or take. So yeah, I mean it was basically like it was two years ago. Same okay. exact deal. So then my my, my other thing and, and this this is where obviously without being able to tag team how many guys did you get to go around to the podiums each day? Because, you know, we used to tag team, and we would make up a list of guys we yeah. thought the Giants would want, and then we would take notes and compare notes and then bring them back to the show. How difficult was it this year to get to all the guys that you wanted to get to? And what and what did you come away with from those interviews that maybe, you know, you, you were able to glean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to jump um, from guy to guy maybe a little bit quicker than I would normally like. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I can, instead of staying seven or eight minutes with the guy, I can only stay three minutes or four minutes with the guy so I can get to three or four Same guys. Same format? During, yes. So you know about 15-minute media periods. Right. The guy's up there for 10, 12 minutes, you know, 15 at most, depending on how it went. Right. So you really had to kind of jump from guy to guy really quick. 
So I kind of had to do the express work going guy, 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 guy. And hopefully when I'm listening, he says something, you know, important. So, and you know, sometimes I'm sitting there and I get three stupid questions and I'm like, ah, I just wasted my time. But of course, so I bounced around a lot guys that stood out to me. Um, I should probably take my notebook out here as I try to figure this out. Um, the one thing that stuck out to me is a lot of these guys from these big schools now, specifically Ohio State, Georgia, and mm-hmm. Alabama, are so – and I'll even throw Michigan out there because Hutchinson was great. They're so ridiculously polished in just how they present themselves and how they speak, and they feel like you're listening to an adult and you're not listening to a college kid. Did you sense more rehearsed kind of guys or no? No, I honestly, it just felt like these guys would Thibodeau maybe sounded a little bit rehearsed to me. Did he? Um, it just seemed to me like these guys felt very natural listening or speaking at the podium. It's something that they've done before, and they just felt very okay. natural at it. One, a couple things that just stuck out to me: how Evan Neal weighs three hundred and forty pounds, and he doesn't look it, right. He looks like he's three oh five. No, it's amazing. Like, and this is—I know he put something up on Instagram. I didn't even see that. I just walked up to his podium and I said, "Holy crap! How is that guy three hundred and forty pounds? He's skinny. Like, mm-hmm. he's not like I remember. I was in all when Dexter Lawrence got here at three forty-five, whatever he was. Right? I'm like, wow, he is a svelte three forty-five. Right. Evan Neal makes him look like the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man." That's like, ridiculous. It's in, well, everybody wears it differently. Yeah, but just to see, and the, you know, is people, he cut? Yes. Yeah. Ridiculously so. <laughs> that's the thing. So that to me, I think that's really going to impress you know front offices. He didn't test. I think if he did test, everyone I talked to said he was going to test absolutely off the charts, and he was going to be fantastic. So, yeah, that impressed me. Um, Ikki Aquanu was oh man, like that guy was unbelievable. Uh, just you can sense how much he loved football by the way he talked about it, mm-hmm. and you could sense how smart and kind of self-aware he was too, where you listen to that guy and you're like, I can't imagine how that guy isn't going to be a really, really good football player, not just get to where he's going, but be coached, listen to what he's talking about, and, and just improve. You just got that sense by listening to him. I was really impressed just with the type of person that he is. And I think when a, a, a someone's that type of person and everyone I heard his interviews were, were basically just as great. Um, when you're that impressive as a person, it's usually going to work out for you as a player. Lance, I got one more for John. Then I'll let you come in here sure. and, and go yeah, through no your problem. checklist. I got the distinct impression after watching so many hours of, of, of the combine that I watched, that Hutchinson, Thibodeau, Equanu, and Neal, those four guys will all be gone by the time the Giants pick at five. Oh, do you get that sense? I sense that Thibodeau could drop like a stone. You do? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Everyone I talked to said the same things about him, okay. and teams are concerned. So three of the four... Will be I would be five. shocked if a quant. And I, I think you wrote. I think you read this in, in in my cover three that I sent over this morning, and that should be. Oh, on I didn't read. Stock. I didn't read cover three. Yet. Oh, you haven't gotten it to yet. I've well, gotten to it yet. It will be up this afternoon. I walked out saying the three guys that will be off the board. I have no doubt when mm-hmm. the Giants pick at four will be Aquanu, Neil, Hutchinson. 
The fourth guy is up in the air. And then, like, this is the other thing. And then, Lance, you can, you know, take your shots at me here. Uh, there could be any of seven or eight guys in consideration for the Giants. Yeah. I don't have any more clarity. If anything, I have less clarity uh, of who they might pick in that spot than I did before I went because a guy like Tavon Walker tested the way he did. Right. Um, you know, Jermaine all the, Johnson. All the Georgia guys tested well, yeah, really well. they were all well. fantastic. You know, Jermaine Johnson tested really well. Is he now in the mix as high as seven? Former so, Georgia guy. Right. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Like, this, this, this was literally the Georgia combine. Like, it was nutso. So, yeah, I have less clarity as to who the Giants pick might be at five, let alone seven. Seven gets even tougher. Five. Yeah. Five, you know, I'd probably have it down to one or two guys that I would pick at five. I don't know what the Giants are thinking. That's just me personally. But at seven, boy, you have you have a lot of choices there. And this is this is not going to be easy. And and my we actually I actually had a funny and then Lance, you can go. I had a funny conversation. I was on Art Stapleton's podcast down there. And we were just joshing around and I said, Look, I know this will never happen, but this is just a funny thing that kind of popped in my head as I was talking about it, as we were talking about it. this is not like a great top 10 type of year um, for these teams, right? So I joked with him. I said, you know, Art, if you look at the trade chart, right, the Giants pick at 5-7. and seven. The Eagles this year select at 15, 16, and 19. Right. If you look at the trade chart mm-hmm. and you offer the, your 5th and 7th overall picks to the Eagles for 15, 16, and 19, you'd be laughed off the stage. Mm-hmm. You're getting terrible value. Mm-hmm. But then I said, okay, I agree with that. And I preface my point by saying that. But would you rather walk away from this draft with Kyle Hamilton and Charles Cross? Or would you rather walk away with walk away from this draft with, say, Trevor Penning, Tyler Lindebaum, and Zion Johnson? <laughs> and you were three-fifths of your offensive line. Set. <laughs> Tackle and two guards. Or you want to take one of those guys out? Fine. Go take David Ajabo. Go take Jermaine Johnson. You got a rush, you got one edge rusher and two offensive linemen. I don't think the guys picked at five and seven are going to be all that much different than the guys right. picked eight or nine picks later, is my point. Well, I'll tell you this. I'd rather eat green eggs and ham than make a trade with the Eagles. Which is stupid, because if it helps yeah. your team, why would you care? <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, the Cowboys and the Eagles didn't exactly. shy away from swapping right. last year. I'm Paul. goofing with you guys. No, I know you're goofing, but I don't think you can necessarily think that way. But it is, no, in all seriousness, Paul, though, a lot of people do think that way. No, I don't want to trade with a rival because I don't want to help their cause. You've got to think about what's good for your Absolutely. organization. Absolutely. And based on what John was saying, if you could get three picks where you're not dropping that low, and let's face it, this rock can utilize three first-round guys that could come in year one and make a significant impact, then from a volume-substance standpoint, I think that's a logical move for the Giants, especially if they're not sold on or have a love affair with anybody at five and seven that they say, we have to walk away with this guy or else. Meaning, if there's not a big drop-off, there's not a big level of disparity between who you would target at five and seven versus who you would take at 16, 19, or whatever it may be, I would roll the dice. I'd make that move in a heartbeat without any hesitation. All right, Lance, pepper me. What do you got? Well, the one thing I first wanted to just piggyback off of in terms of the media, I think what you guys were getting at was the fact that these prominent college programs are covered like NFL teams in certain markets. So I think these kids are used to speaking to the media, peppered with questions. A lot of the coaches came from the NFL level. So they, I'm sure, train these kids appropriately. I mean, Alabama, Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, those are just as big in their areas as the New York Giants are in New York. No question. Absolutely. Now, Thibodeau 
he was getting a lot of pats on the back because at his presser, he was specifically asked about how he would handle the New York market. And if you guys recall, he said that the Giants sort of gave him a hard time. It wasn't literally that they were trying to make it uncomfortable. They were just sort of saying, hey, if things don't flourish for you in New York, how would you handle it? And he obviously gave a beautiful textbook answer. I'm not criticizing him for that. But, guys, you know this. You don't really truly tell the true colors of a player correct. until he's actually put in that situation. And things go Let's bad for them. Correct. That's exactly. Correct. Yes. I mean, everyone could give you a wonderfully scripted answer until you're actually put in a position where you don't get a sack for five games, which I think was the situation he laid out. Then you really see how a player can handle a big market. Yeah, and no disrespect to Oregon, right, but, I mean, Oregon is very different than what you would be exposed to, not just in New York, in any of the other now, major NFL markets. What I will say about Thibodeau Lance, and normally I would say, oh, you don't want to do your field workouts and go do your thing at the combine. That, I mean, do things at the pro day. That's fine. That's not a problem. But here's the thing. Thibodeau, I was talking to Charles Davis. He was on with Charles Davis on Sirius XM. He told Charles Davis he was doing all the drills this week. When? And, what day was that? Uh, I think on Sirius, maybe last Wednesday or something okay. like that. And I don't, I haven't been told it's not true, but I think he might have told some of the teams that too. So you don't tell the teams you're going to do something, and then you don't do it. Yeah. And what I heard from people during the week, and which is the reason why I said he might be a guy that drops it again, this is not from the Giants, folks. This is not from any other teams or scouts. This is from other you know, draft people that I talk to, okay? The impression that I got is he's a guy that thinks he already has everything figured out. Oh, that's not good. And then on when that's already the impression, then you don't do your workout on top of that. When Aiden Hutchinson, who is a locked top three pick, goes out and does everything, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think if it was just a standalone deal and that kind of thing wasn't already floating out there anyway, I wouldn't care. But the fact that it kind of builds on stuff that I was hearing before he even set foot in Indianapolis, I think probably did not put a great impression on people that were watching that. Is my Do we bet. know who his rep is? He's just changed reps this year. I, I don't did, know. I did, off, I did not realize I that. Don't know, I don't know. I can check that for you right now. I don't know offhand. Hmm. What else you got for me, Lance? Well, I was just going to say it's more of a reason why, to me, it matters more what he tells the teams than necessarily what he says at a podium to the media. Of course. Because the teams are going to interpret, hey, if he looked at them in their faces and said, I'm going to do A, B, and C at the combine, and then it turns out he doesn't do that, yeah, if I'm a front office executive, I'm certainly going to say, well, you know, what happens if something like that comes up during the regular season where you ask him where he was and he missed the practice, can you trust him? From that standpoint, it's much more important how the team perceives that and what they took away than necessarily whether or not you wow the media. I've always felt that way. So, I mean, nothing was different this year, but I just thought that was interesting in terms of the dynamics with Thibodeau. My Apparently, major Lance, by the yeah. way, he, uh, I got a tweet from Schefter that said he signed with Wasserman Group, Grand Sport Management. Okay. That was on December 6th. Somebody told me that he had, prior to that, switched representation. I do not See that? Oh, no. Here we go. Kayvon Thibodeau, sports agent blog. Here we go. This is from, I don't have a date, January 18th. After signing with Wasserman shortly over a month ago, Kayvon Thibodeau has moved on to new representation. The potential number one overall pick is picked Clutch Sports Group as his new agency. That's LeBron's group. Yep. Yep. A month after he signed with, and obviously Wasserman is the, you know, big. Oh, you. They represent tons of players. 100%. So, like I said. 
lot of stuff. Mm. That becomes one of those things you need to go deeper into the folder for. Do you remember? Do you remember? Do you remember what Joe Shane said at his press conference? Usually, you don't miss on the player; you miss on the person. Yes, yes. There you go. Figure it out now. Well, you know me. It, Paul. it requires investigation. And by the way, this is the guy who three months ago, when I just watched the tape, I thought he was the best player in the draft. Well, I was I was a huge fan. I think he's a really good player. And obviously, we don't, I don't have access to that sort of stuff like everyone else does. So do. I can't pass judgment on any of that. But I guarantee you that's something that teams around the league are looking at and trying to figure out. There have been more comments than not that say his tape shows you the most pure potential of any of the edge rushers in the draft. Potential, absolutely. But, you know, yep. again, it, this means you got to get out your shovel and you got to dig on all this stuff. Yep. That's why the combine's there and that's why the scouts are there and that's why the pro days are there because you got to get that intel. Okay, I, I will give you one anecdote that a one of these draft guys said to me. I'm not going to give the name who it was. This is what he said to me. And again, this is not from an NFL team. This is an expression that he came up with and told me himself. And he said, you know, someone asked me what I'm hearing about Thibodeau, and he said, you know, NFL teams, when he goes in through, they set up two chairs, one for Kayvon Thibodeau and one for his ego. <laughs> oh! oh! Wow, they're already getting Boy. new material off but of again, them, I see. Again, yeah. I'm stressing, folks, I am not confirming this. I'm not saying this is true. I'm not saying that this is right. exactly. This is what somebody told me. And here's the thing about this stuff, too, which is why I take all this stuff with a big crooked eye and grain of salt. You have to. It could be a bad game of telephone. Well, one person mm-hmm. has a bad story. He tells one person. That person tells somebody else. That person it tells spreads somebody like else. Wildfire. And it wildfire. And it comes from one bad story that's not even true. So I have no idea. If Again, I'm just telling you what people there were telling me. Again, these aren't NFL people. These are reporters and such. But I heard that from multiple people, and this is something that teams will be digging into. And, and to give John a little bit more of a defense on that, folks— the convention room floor at the Combine is like a living, breathing Twitter. Stuff spreads <laughs> like wildfire. Yes, it does. That's true. Okay? That's what it is. Correct. So so John can tell you what, what the whispers were, but that doesn't mean there's anything to it. And that's what he's trying to say. And I totally back him on that. Well, and the other thing is people have agendas, too. If you're, for example, an agent, you may be representing a client that plays a similar position. You'd benefit if Thibodeau's stock falls. Because oh, that would help your client. Yeah, so, is a team trying to push him down the board, sure. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, or correct. maybe, correct, the team really likes him, and they pick in the middle of the draft, and they're worried that he's not going to get there. If you spread something, hey, maybe he falls. You benefit. So you never know why this intel is leaking. It could be that there's not enough validity behind it, but a team really likes him, and that's why it's out there. So, you know, it, it's hard to really dissect all of this and have some positive takeaways or negative takeaways because you just don't know whether or not people have agendas, I think, tied to it. And then the other thing with respect to somebody's interpretation of an ego, to me, confidence for a player is not a bad thing. It's a matter of does that confidence get in the way Mm -hmm. of being open to improving once you join a team? And, you know, to your point, John, you said he thinks he has everything figured out. If there's validity behind that, is he open to then improving or does he think that he's reached his pinnacle? I mean, those would be the follow-up questions that I'd have with respect to the ego. I don't think there's anything wrong with a guy feeling really good about his talent and his skill set. He should feel that way. There's a reason why he got to this level. So I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's just you have to make sure that, hey, there's room to grow and mature as a player. The only thing that I was going to add just in terms of some of the takeaways, and the 40-yard dash only reveals so much, but there were seven wide receivers that had sub 4.4 40-yard dashes. So, I mean, this group certainly showcased the speed. 
I think there's a lot of depth at this position, putting aside the 40-yard dash. And wide receiver, absolutely. And I know we talk about wide receiver depth more often than not each and every year, but I think this group has just as much as perhaps some of the previous years. And I think you can get a guy in the late first round, second round, and we've seen that in previous drafts. And you can get a guy that gets on the field and be an instantaneous playmaker. I don't see anything different with this group this year. No, absolutely. And you know, I'm almost to the point now where – Unless, I think I said this on one of the shows during the week, unless you have like a top three or four truly difference-making... Jamar Chase. Correct. You know, all, you know uh, Devontae Adams. You know, somebody like that. Like, not just Pro Bowl, all pro wide receiver in their prime. I would hesitate paying any of these guys just because every year, to Lance's point, there's a dozen, like a dozen, there's a dozen wide receivers here that I, that I could see be, be, being well, an NFL player yeah. that plays 40-plus snaps the a game. The college game has become more of a passing game. Well, and all the seven They're stressing seven it. Exactly. Yeah. And they're chucking it all over the field. Yeah. So, I'm with you, Lance. A um, couple other things. You know, I would not be. I know a lot of people were concerned that Kyle Hamilton had the worst 40 time from the safeties. That would not bother me if you looked at the head-on replay of that. His technique on it was terrible. He was like <laughs> swerving all over the lane. It was like he was like drunk driving on the New Jersey Turnpike the way he was all over that forty-yard dash lane. It was crazy. I thought he had pebbles in his cleats, dude. It was nuts, right? <laughs> right? He didn't look right. So if he runs that in a straight line, the number's probably lower. And if you look at all the other testing he did, the broad jump, the vertical jump, the short shuttle, the three cone, all that was like top or second best in the safety class. So if I'm a team, I would not let that 40 time Mm -hmm. make me think about him much. Now, if the rest of the testing was all trash too and that that was bad, then I'd be worried. But the fact that all the other times and jumping numbers were good, I would not let that bother me. That's just me. All right, 201-939-4513. I could talk for two hours about what else I learned there, but I want to make sure we get a chance to get the calls in here. Uh, let's go to Marty in Manahawk, and he will lead us off today. Marty, what's going on? Hey, John, welcome back, and uh, thanks for the good coverage you, you did down there. Thank you. Uh, I was just curious because I, you know, I heard them talking a lot about the tight ends and stuff, and I know you had a firsthand look at stuff. Uh, I was just curious uh, – it didn't seem much buzz about Charlie Kolar, and I, I actually thought he was one of the better tight ends that would be uh, coming into the draft this year, and uh, it's, it's, he's been pretty quiet. And uh, you know, I just have to wonder if uh, maybe uh, his senior bowl, which he wasn't, you know, I, I know he didn't set it on fire, but he, uh, you know, once the Jets kind of held him back a little because everybody's uh, kind of, uh, you know, saying the Jets are going to take him in the third round. So uh, just curious uh, what, what you what you noticed and what the buzz was down there. Yeah, I did not talk to anyone about him specifically. Um, I, I'm trying to bring up his testing now. The NFL.com website has been a little wonky this morning. I think they're trying to get all the um, get all the results up there from the combine, and I think people are overloading the site a little bit. Um, I don't think I remembered seeing Charlie Kohler run a 40-yard dash. My feel is that he's in that group of tight ends. That's a solid two-way player that's probably going to go sometime either at the end of round three, more likely for Kohler, I think, in round four. And this is one of those tight end groups where you might have four guys maybe go on day two, maybe five, and then you're going to have a bunch of guys sitting there in round four that can be, you know, 
not flashy, but solid two-way tight ends, and I think he probably is in that group with a lot of others. Though, Paul, your guy Ferguson did not help himself. I know. I know. <laughs> He's so sad. <laughs> Actually, no, to be frank with no, you, it I helps was thrilled. You get drops. Yeah, I, I was know. thrilled. Like, it's like George Kittle tested out of his mind at the combine. And he killed me because yes. I knew he was going to go. Remember Chase Claypool? Now, Ferguson. Now, he was a receiver, not a tight Correct. end. But what are the, remember when Claypool oh, yeah, tested I and I, I started remember. crying? I said, John, I'm screwed. He's going to go now. Well, this happens. So, in reverse, I'm happy Ferguson tested badly. Right, but you would like. To, I think you would like to see a little bit more. Did, I would he, like to have seen him do better. Yeah, he, he did. He did run a pretty good three cone, but none of the other numbers were, were yeah. very impressive. Yeah. Well, and if you're talking about the Giants targeting tight ends, they could very well go after a free agent that doesn't cost a lot of money, especially if they're looking for a blocker. I would not sure. dismiss that. I mean, for example, Lee Smith is going to be a free well, agent. Lance, Lee Smith was need, in Buffalo. You probably need both because they could have zero tight ends in that room. Well, of so course, yeah, based on, correct, with Evan Ingram <laughs> and Kyle Rudolph parting ways. Of course, there's definitely a need. But what I'm saying is, is that I know we look at, well, having a guy on a rookie contract is attractive, but there's some veteran tight ends that are on the market that I don't think you're going to have to break open the piggy bank for, especially if you're looking for a guy to assist the offensive line. And that's why I throw out a guy like Lee Smith, who I think fits that bill. Yeah, I do not see any numbers from him in terms of athletic testing. I didn't remember seeing him do anything on tight end day. So, sorry, buddy. Well, that that was a good answer for me, John. I'm uh, just going to leave you with one thing about Kyle Hamilton, and I think it was Parcells or Tom Coughlin always used to say, game speed. That That's was it. the yep. – Yeah, mm-hmm. and he has plenty of that, no question. Thank mm-hmm. you, Marty. And I'll say this, too. You know, you know, Lance, we, we compared this draft to what the 2013 draft was. Uh, I, By the way, and you guys didn't ask me about the quarterbacks, I still am dead set on no quarterbacks are going in the top ten. I don't see it. I don't think anyone did anything this week to change minds. And by the way, if you're changing your minds on these quarterbacks based on how they throw on air in a combine workout, you're not doing this right uh, because it's just, frankly, stupid to, to make those types of decisions. Um I don't think I don't think one of those guys are going in the top ten, but this could be one of those drafts where, if you're trying to hit home runs, you might get burnt. You, it, this might be the draft where you just say, you know what, just pick the guy you know is going to be good, and if you get a good player, even if you're not trying to hit a home run at a premium position, just draft a good player and come away with a guy that's going to help you. And I'm not there yet, but I, I'm starting to consider that tack this year. You know, just because of the type of year that it is, where there just aren't that many true blue, blue chip prospects out there. Well, I mean, I think the Giants can't afford to miss. The high risk, high reward pick is not going to be the sensible way for this team to go. Well, then, Paul. They need guys who can play. Well, then, if Kyle Hamilton is there at five, then you should pick that player. I'm just telling you, if, if, if that's what your mindset's going to be, and he's on the board. They can't miss, John. You have to take him. I'm just, and, 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 I'm and, just and, saying. And I would not, okay, let me make something clear. Hamilton is not a guy I would necessarily pick, but if they did, I would understand it based on the simple logic that you can't miss. The Giants are in no position that they can wind up blowing any of these picks, especially in the first three rounds. They need to hit on at least four of the five, without question. Though four of the five have to give them significant production. And in all honesty, sooner rather than later. 
Well, specifically the two first rounders. If no you doubt. Both of those picks. No doubt. So yeah, the and, margin and for error is non-existent at this point. It's not. You're right. And so, Lance, you know whether or not you or I would want to pick Hamilton at five if they took him, and this guy was a lock to be an outstanding player. You can't argue against it. And Lance, the other thing too is that I almost feel like that, you know, when GM's making his first two picks in the top of the first round like this, you want to pick foundational players that. You know, are not only great players on the field, but you want them to kind of set the tone for the type of program you want to run, you know, in the locker room, right? And I feel like, you know, I was talking to Mike Tannenbaum out there on one of the Giants Huddle podcasts. You guys should go check that out. And he said, look, I purposely made my first two picks with the Jets, DeBrickishaw, Br- De Ferguson, and Nick Mangold. Mm-hmm. Look, they were just two really solid guys, yeah. and they did a really, really nice job. So I, I could see Joe Shane leaning in that direction, you know, the whole smart, tough, dependable thing. And I think dependable, you know, you can look at that word a lot of different ways. But, Lance, I think that might be the most important of those three words when he's selecting these players this year because you want to set a very solid foundation of which to build, even if they're not these, you know, glitzy, glamorous guys. Have tremendous confidence that you're going to want to give that guy a second contract. Right. The problem is that can you both give a second contract to Xavier McKinney and Kyle Hamilton, two safeties? That can get awfully pricey for one position. So Depends on if they play in the same position. With the versatility, yeah, I mean they're both. They're, they're, I mean Kyle Hamilton waited at two twenty. He's not playing linebacker. No, well not right now. He's not. No, go ahead, Lance. I'm sorry. No, well I was going to say first of all the Bills. He, they're coming over from a team that had two really good safeties. That's true. Jordan yes, Poyer and Micah yes. Hyde. And, and he paid both in free agency. Correct. Yep. Yes. Right about they that. didn't yep. draft either one of them, but I think Joe Shane understands the importance and the versatility of that position. The other thing is they don't have any allegiance to the guys that are currently in-house at that position. So I know probably when you talk about Kyle Hamilton, most Giants fans would say, well, what do they really need a safety for? But keep in mind, Jabril Peppers, okay, he's a free agent. Logan Ryan is a guy who's played both positions. He's certainly no youngster. And McKinney, who you guys brought up, McKinney also doesn't have a long enough sample size to prove that he's durable, too. So I I don't think you want to roll all the dice necessarily with what you currently have on the roster. You can argue there would definitely still be a need for another safety. It's just a matter of, and this is the other thing that I think Joe Shane has to weigh, if you feel solid, to your point, that there's a foundational piece at another position that is by far a much bigger need, such as an offensive lineman, let's say. Yep. If it's even, I would, without hesitation, I'd go in the direction of the offensive right. lineman. I just think the offensive lineman has more of an opportunity to make a significant impact immediately versus maybe Kyle Hamilton is more of that long-term piece that you were talking about, John. But if you're talking about a guy that comes in year one, and moves the pile forward, to me it's the offensive lineman more so than Kyle Hamilton. 100%. And if all things are equal, that, that, There's that, no doubt. that, that that's an obvious yeah, decision We would all agree with that. And by the way, at Vicious 155 lands brings up on Twitter that Lee Smith actually retired, which I did not know. Oh, did he? I, I didn't up, realize that he made that official announcement. on January 25th, he announced his retirement. Okay, so, so there we know. go. So then he's I, not an option then. I was okay. not aware of that he, either. To me, he would have been a perfect middle-of-the-range type of guy, free agent, and he's a solid guy that is a tight end. He's not coming to you to get a lot of targets. I did not realize that he was hanging up the jersey. Okay, so he's no longer an option then. 201-939-4513. Let's go to the phones and say what's up to Jason in New Haven. He's up next. What's up, Jason? How you guys doing? What's Hi. up, man? Good, good. John, thanks for the, uh, all the coverage at the uh, combine. Uh, all of it was really good. So just Thank wanted you. to give you the kudos. What do you got, Jason? Um, yeah, just a few things. Um, as far as the Thibodeau thing, um, I feel uh, if, if if Hutchinson and Neil aren't there, um, to me, I know 
you know, a lot of people been talking about he's been turning some teams off, some people off. Um, I wouldn't read too much into it. Um, but this guy not few not a few months ago was considered number overall pick. I think if he's there at five to me, he's one of those guys where you run to the podium and you don't think about it. Uh, we've been clamoring for a, 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 a alpha pass rusher, and to me, he fits that bill. Um, um, confidence and being overconfident um, that doesn't really to me as far as especially as a defender. I think I, I would want an edgy, very confident kind of guy. Parsons kind of had those same kind of things people was talking about last year, and the dude ended up being damn near defensive player. Yeah, no, but Chase, that's true. But no one ever said about Micah Parsons that his motor wasn't running hot on every play. Oh yeah, he, right. he took some plays off. Parsons did. No, 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 no. Thibodeau did. Parsons never took plays off. I disagree. But oh, that's okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't remember I, ever saying I, that I, last year. Yeah, to be was, with you. yeah. He had he had he I, had I, some I, times where he did take some plays off. That was one of the knocks on him, plus the off the field right. issues. Because I don't, I don't think there's any perfect prospects. Um, everybody's in love with Aquanu, and I think he would be a good pick at five. But there's been some talks of people possibly moving him to guard. If he was a pure guard, would people take him at five? Probably not. Um, just pay, based on pure value. So there's no perfect prospects. I think if Thibodeau's there at five, you don't overthink it. You take him, and him and Ojolari to me is a, is a great. Um, one-two punch as far as head. And Jason, by the way, a lot of the guys I talk to, you listen to the shows, they'd be like, look, I don't care about these questions. I, if he's there at five, I would run to the podium and take Thibodeau. Many, a, a bunch of people I talked to last week said that to me too. Absolutely. Right, right. And, you know, uh, th- th- this is why, to be fair, remember that personnel profile for each player has a ton of papers in it, and the tape is only part of it. You know, and right. we, we we can't stress that enough. There are so many things that we can't possibly know. And we don't have access to, correct. Nobody yeah. will. Mm-hmm. And and those things yeah. will often change. Uh, you know, I mean, if you just went by tape, it would actually be a lot easier. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay? It would be a lot easier. But, but you can't. Well, but the tape should be a lot of the heavy lifting, though. Oh, yeah, of course In it terms be. of your guidance. And then yep. you have to weigh the pros and cons of some of these other factors. Because in fairness, listen, there could be a guy that's got a beautiful textbook. His profile is clean, pristine. And then he gets to the NFL, and who knows? Maybe he's plagued by injuries. So you never really reap the rewards of somebody like that. It's the same thing. Right. You're banking on a guy because you're worried about his personality, and then all of a sudden he's the ideal citizen when he gets it, to your well. team. Yeah, Jason, I don't want to spend a, 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 a lot more time in Thibodeau because you've already done a lot of it. I'll just say this. I think the, 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 to summarize what the worry that teams have on him is that is he going to be coachable enough and is he going to dedicate himself enough to reach that great potential all of us see? Because we all see that great potential, right? We see that, yeah, he – look, I think he's the most talented pass rusher in the whole class. I, I said that before I went to the combine. I still think so now. But will he reach that potential? I think that's the question everyone's asking themselves. Right, right. Okay, cool. Um, and uh, two more points. Um I thought the combine was uh, the coverage was really great. Um, two guys that stood out to me. I don't think this guy is going to be drafted by us. I think he'll probably go late first round. Jordan Davis. Um, to see somebody that big run that fast now, <laughs> this is the this is the underwear Olympics, and I don't really take too much precedence. I'll tell you that. The if Dave Gettleman's the GM, he could be the pick at seven. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> Am I wrong? Hello. <laughs> yeah, no, you're not wrong. So it was it was incredible seeing him run. Another uh, two more prospects, and I'll take it off the air. Um, 
there's a tackle that everybody's kind of been talking about lately. I guess I think his first name is Trevor Penning. Or yep, Trevor Penning. Penning. Yep, offensive yeah, more than um, Iowa. Been, you got it. Nasty. Yeah, he's been. Yeah, he's been getting a lot of. Um, and I watched a little bit of his tape. I'm not a scout, but I did play ball, and he has a lot of. Uh, there's some things he could work on, pass, um, pass protection. But as far as run blocking, the demeanor, uh, I mean, wow. I, I don't. I think maybe five or seven is probably too high for him. But wow, I mean, um, he would be a really good pickup um, if we didn't go offensive line in our first, you know, top two picks in the first round. Will he drop to the second round? Probably unlikely. The way he's getting kind of talked up. But would you guys have a problem with uh, waiting in the draft? Now it's all going to be dependent on uh, free agency and what we do. I get that. But um, do you think we need to pick a offensive tackle in the first round? I'm just asking your opinion. I'm not saying this is what the team is going to do. But let's just say we let's just say for sake of argument, I'll take it off the Let's just say for sake of argument, the front office says, you know what, Thibodeau's our guy. If he's, if he's there at five, uh, let's say a Sauce Gardner or a Hamilton is there at seven, and we pick one of those guys up. So we have Thibodeau and Sauce at, the, uh, at those two uh, five and seven which to me would be a home run out the park first round to me. But um, would you guys be okay with that if, of course, if that happened? Or do you feel we need an offensive tackle? Like if Cross is there or, mm-hmm. you know, a Quan is there, whatever the case may be. So I just wanted to make guys- it. Thank you, Jason. Appreciate <laughs> the call, you. man. My, oh. my strong preference would be to take an offensive tackle at five or seven. And this is going to be a – you guys want to preview the debate we're going to have for the next month and a half? Who's the third tackle in this draft? Is it Charles Cross? Which I think, based on talking to people in Indy, still seems to be the consensus. I have Cross but at seven for me, to be honest with you. I And right now, if I was to make the picks, I would pick Charles Cross at yeah. number five, to be honest Oh, you with would you. take him at five? Not, I think I can take him at seven. I'm not risking the Panthers taking him at seven. You're not? Of course, yeah, it depends. They need it, help on the offensive And, and of line. course, it depends who's there at five, obviously. But, to, but Lance just said it was 100% right. The Panthers' offense line do. is a mess. They do. So I can't roll my roll the dice there on that. So right now he's my pick at five. I think you know the most important thing in the NFL is passing the football. He's I think mm-hmm. the best pass protector in the draft. I agree. And looking at him, you know, Equanu and Neal, like I mentioned, they look like physically imposing men. Like they're gonna like they could break me in half if they wanted to. And they'll be gone, both of them. But it's killing me. Cross isn't there yet. So I think Cross still has some room to grow. I think somebody told me he might have started the year at 285 at tackle, and he built his way up. So I think if you get him into an NFL weight program, I think there's room for improvement for him, and he can get better. I thought he moved really well. It is combine drills in addition to his testing, which is also not spectacular, but it was certainly good. You know, a lot like Andrew Thomas was good, just not spectacular. Um, He checked in with long enough arms. All the measurements are there. Mm -hmm. Cross would be that guy. But I've talked to other people out there that said, you know what? Penning, you know, he tested better than Cross did. He's has a bigger, has I would say, a, a better body than Cross does right now in terms of being ready to step in and play. Uh, he has the toughness factor. He's more polished in the run game. But look, his pass protection's not perfect. He's got stuff to work on there. I even saw it at the Senior Bowl. He was good mostly, but there were plays that he got beat too. So I know some people that I have a lot of respect for, by the way, have pending ahead of Cross. And they even think that based on what they've seen Joe Shane and Bobby Johnson do before, the penning type would be more attractive to them 
than the cross type in terms of rough, tough, physical versus more finesse pass right. protector. There, there are three guys, okay, by my by my video uh, study, who are your maulers, your pit bulls, your nasty SOBs at the offensive line position, and none of them are perceived to be top five picks. That's Green, Penning. And Smith. I would consider Aquanu one of those guys. I'm saying, no, I'm not counting Aquanu because he's off the charts. You know who you should look at? Look at the offensive tackle from Tulsa. Smith. Yeah, Yeah. Tyler Smith. I said that. Oh, you said Smith. I'm sorry. My bad. I apologize. Green, Kenyon Green, Mm -hmm. Penning, and Smith. Those are the three son of a, you know what, mad dog, foaming at the mouth, pit bull maulers, put me in a steel cage, and I'll bloody you into yeah, a I'll mess. I'll be honest with you, Green's movement skills. Like, okay. if, if some people thought he could still be a tackle because he played tackle for them, uh, I would not. He he has some DJ Fluker vibes to me in terms of I, movement skills. But I think most people probably think he's going to be a guard. And I think he'd be just fine there. Okay. Mm-hmm. And those, those, to me, are the out-of-the-top-five range, but top-three mauler kind of offensive linemen. And that if, if you could get any of those guys somehow dropping to the early second round, I would run as fast as I could. The Tulsa kid's a bit of a project. I know. I know. But And some people think he might even sneak into the back end of the first round now. I've heard that too. I say with some confidence there will be five, at least five offensive linemen in the first round. Equanu, Neal, Cross, Penning, and the Bernard Raymond kid from yeah. Central Michigan. Central think, Michigan, Lance, or is it Western Michigan? One of those Michigan. I thought it was Central. Yeah, yeah Central. I think it's Central. No, it's Central. No, you're right. Those, I, don't th- I don't think you're off the mark on those that. Those are the five tackles that are going in the first round, and the Tulsa kid might have moved himself into that conversation, too, this week. So, But, but again, different styles. But, again, who's that third tackle? That's going to yeah. And is it worth the pick at five and seven? You want to preview our debate here and yelling at each other for the next month and no, a half? No. That's what it's going to be. Pure skills on tape? Cross, I think, is that guy. I absolutely believe. I, I said that to you during one of mm-hmm. our uh, previews a couple of weeks ago. I said I'd have no problem taking him at seven. I don't know that I'd take him at five, he's but only, you really he's only two picks apart. Yeah, What's but see, difference? you you think Carolina would would take him? Yeah, I'm not sure that they would. Well, Carolina could take an offensive lineman. Let's put it that way. They could. They, they may could. not take the guy that you're talking about. They could about. take Hamilton. Yeah, but you're still. Yeah, or Hamilton but, could be I gone. Mean, he listen, could too. And remember, they just drafted Jeremy Chin, who basically plays the same position that Kyle Hamilton does. I mean, listen, Carolina's got to figure out the quarterback position. They, they got, got to figure out the to offensive out. line position. That's yes, true. they have a lot to figure out. Yeah, in but, fact, Lance, didn't they use almost all their picks on defense the last two years? They barely drafted correct. any offensive yeah, players. It hasn't worked that well. well Phil Snow. Well, the defense was pretty well, good. It just they got hit by injuries. Yeah, the defense was good last year. Yeah, defense was pretty good. Yeah. I mean, Phil Snow came over. Yeah, they just can't score from college. Yeah, he had a lot of guys in terms of J.C. Horn and Chin that John mentioned. They got some good players in that secondary. It's just a matter of keeping them on the field simultaneously. And the other thing I was going to mention about the Joe Shane profile for an offensive lineman, keep in mind, the Bills drafted Spencer Brown out of Northern Iowa in the third round last year. Great point. So that's Penning's teammate because he's also from Northern Iowa. So, yeah, I'm sure when Shane scouted Stephen Brown, I guarantee you he looked a little bit at Penning. They probably have an idea even coming into this draft about him. But going back to the caller's question. Oh, and by the way, Lance, just a real quick, Penning said at his press conference that he was asked who was the toughest pass rusher he ever went up against. He said Ellerson Smith. 
monster in practice. Did he? Downright unblockable, he said. Just a little nugget. Well, maybe they could go up against each other in practice Perhaps. once again. The NFL Wait, I'm sorry. Sorry for interrupting. Yeah. See, that's, no, it's that's nice. the kind of really cool stuff you get by making the trip. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I would also expect him to say somebody that he went up against in practice on a daily basis. It's not as if he's practicing against the other teams consistently. So you would think that he would choose at least a teammate who uh, certainly has upside. At least the Giants are hoping that they could tap into that moving forward. But the question was, are the Giants at the point where they have to take an offensive tackle in the first round. That's where we started with this conversation. And my answer would be, I think the Giants are beyond, in my personal opinion, the time of bringing in a free agent and utilizing him for a year or two and having be a bridge guy. I think you need to complement Andrew Thomas with another guy who you could build upon moving forward. So, yes, my answer would be if they feel really good, I don't care if he's third on the list of offensive tackles, if they feel really good about him, then out of five and seven, I highly suggest they should take a tackle that could be the opposite end of Andrew Thomas to feel as if you got the bookend guys moving forward. Now, here's the other trick with Charles Cross. He really hasn't played right tackle. So then you're like, all right, well, do you move Thomas over? Do you, you know, stick cross at left? You know, you have, you have, there are questions there you have to figure out in terms of how you slide mm-hmm. him in. With Aquano and Neal, it's easier. Both those guys have played right tackle. So you could slide those guys in. Petting, too. Slide him in. Right tackle. Easy. No problem. It gets a little bit tricky with Cross. Let's go back well, to the – I'm sorry. Well, no, I was just going to say, I mean, a lot of left tackles in college start off on the right side. Yep. I mean, Tyron Smith, for example, who's the Cowboys' left tackle, he was briefly on the right side, then they moved him to left. I get your concern. You'd like to see it maybe a little bit at the collegiate level, but if he would have an entire training camp in spring – or the tail end of the spring session to at least start working on the footwork yep. and get acclimated, I'd have no problem even if he didn't necessarily have a wealth of experience on that side. Fair enough. 201-939-4513. Let's go back to our busy phones and say what's up to Cliff in New York. He's up next. Cliff, what's happening, pal? Hello, guys. How you doing? I, I much appreciated that combine also. I joined the chorus of the other callers. I love those interviews, the one with Art Stapleton and the one with the Buffalo guy. Um, oh, you. By the way, Cliff, thanks for bringing that up. I know it's kind of the name that gets hidden in the show. I believe it was Thursday's Big Blue Kickoff Live. We had Chris Brown on, who covers the Bills. Yeah. He gave me 15 minutes on Shane and Dable. Unbelievable insight. Yes. I thought I learned more about those two guys from that interview than I did from any of the other interviews we did. To be quite honest with you. Oh yeah. When and um, I know a Bills fan, and he said that uh, for what it's worth, he says Dable will be a great coach once we get to eight and eight. I don't know what that means, but anyway, um, the the uh, I'm I'm getting more confident about Joe Shane all the time, uh, and uh, I, I I think he can do a great job with second and third round picks. And you guys are making me feel a little bit better about the first round, but I've been willing to be out of the first round since the beginning of this whole process. And I'm uh, just wondering um, if it makes sense, since Joe Shane also said, I don't think he was just being sentimental or thinking of the fans, that the cap cuts would be painful, that there would be people he would rather keep if he could. And um, I'm wondering if the cost of signing the top-tier first-round picks savings would make sense, would have an impact, a sufficient impact, to be a factor when he considers of trading down, if you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, you're um, talking about the slots at five and seven and the money that's required to sign yes. those guys. I got, I yes. got you. I don't think I'll that's going that. to impact his. I don't think it's going to impact his decision making at all. I really don't. Oh, 
Well, I'm still looking for him to get some kind of value from those picks since there's so since we have the limited elite player situation and his statement that he can get offensive linemen anywhere in the draft. I liked hearing that because I always thought that was the case. But I'm thinking, I'm hoping that the t- the playoff teams at the back end of the first round are the ones that are thinking that they're a player or two away from getting into the Super Bowl, and they might be the ones that would want uh, five and seven, and then we'd at least still be in the first round. What do you think of that? Well, how how you go? You want to go all the way down to the bottom of the first round? What what's the haul that you're going to get to make that swap? You, right. I mean, seriously, it's got to. As I've said to everybody who we've ever talked to about this in the last month and a half, it's got to be a godfather deal. You know, one you can't refuse. Now, if you're going to tell me someone's going to give you the swap of the picks plus a number two plus their yes. number one in the next two seasons, yes. I mean, are you going to give me a godfather haul? Then I then then maybe I'm going to start thinking about it. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for another two, even another three, and, and a next-year pick just to give Joe Shane more second- and third-round picks. I want to see what he can do in those rounds. That's well, where again, I, think he's I, gonna hit his I, I would only hesitate, and this goes off of what John said, and I Thank know Lance you, emphasized it earlier. If you have conviction in the guy at the top of your board when it's time to pick, then you don't even deal with it. You take the guy and you put him in your pocket and you walk away. But again, I don't think you're gonna have somebody look. We don't know that. that high. We like don't know that. I look. I, I I too would love to get another pick in the middle of that second round. I think that's the sweet spot in this draft. Like I was, I'm, I have to narrow down a list of thirty guys for some project I'm working on. Oh my god, I kept going. I'm like I'm at fifty, and I couldn't get it down to thirty. These guys are all the same. Once you get past like. 12? I was on a call with Daniel Jeremiah last week right before the combine, and he said his grades were between 15 and 60, pretty much identical. That's what I'm Fif- saying. 15 and 60. It's what do you need? What kind of player do you want? What you know? Does it fit your system? And those are the things that are going to dictate. So you're right. The second round is certainly a sweet spot for you, man. a plethora of guys who are on the same level. 2013 draft all over again. But again, but again, he said between 15 and 60. Well, that means from 1 to 14, you might have conviction on two guys. True. And if you do, I think you got to pick them. Well, normally a haul like that that the last caller was referring to is a product of a team really wanting a quarterback. Correct. And they're going to be saying to themselves, we don't care about our future draft picks because we believe this is the guy. And well, if the Rams, no one, right? Yeah. When the Rams went and got Stafford, they had that similar philosophy. Yeah, but Stafford that, was a polished veteran. No, 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 no. But, <laughs> but the point saying? is, they yeah. were willing to pay future draft capital sure. to get the guy who they yeah. thought was going to get them to the Super Bowl. But what I'm saying is, you have to find a team that feels that way about somebody that hasn't played one NFL snap, right? In order to want to move up and then maybe even take the seventh overall pick too from the Giants as well, because the caller was talking about packaging both of them and getting rid of them. Yeah. So well. you need. To have a team that not only do they want a quarterback, that they have a love affair with somebody else at another position. I find it hard to believe that you're going to find somebody like that because I think this is similar to even last year's draft with respect to the quarterbacks. And I had been saying after the top three go, I didn't really see anybody making an ultra-aggressive move because I figured they probably believe somebody will fall to them. I think there may be one team 
that looks to make a move up, especially if they want to get ahead of another team that is eyeing perhaps a quarterback. But I think most teams, if they really like a quarterback, I think they're going to patiently say, hey, if the guy falls to us, great. If not, we can live and we can move on. Yeah. But we're not hey, going to give Bill up Belichick all of our future for Mac assets. Jones. Yep. Well, Mac Jones is correct. He fell right to the Patriots. So I could see a lot of teams thinking the same way. That's why I don't understand why they would want to grab the five and the seven from the Giants under those yeah, I don't see it happening yeah. either. Does make sense? No, I think we're all in agreement with that as well. 201-939-4513. Jonathan Westchester joins us next. Hey, Jonathan, how are you? Hey, how are you guys? We're good. So I actually have a trivia question for you. Um, who is the last Giants wide receiver to play a full season in back-to-back seasons? Did Cruz do it? So I didn't wow. go back that far. Okay, well, it wasn't that far away then. I mean, jeez. <laughs> that, that'll, that'll give you a hint. It was, it was after Victor Cruz. All right, after Victor Cruz. Uh, 16 games, consecutive years by a Giants wide receiver. Let's see. After Cruz, Odell probably, right? No. Odell played in 15 in 2015. Oh, 15, yeah, he missed. Yeah, because he got suspended. That's right. He got suspended yep. for the one game there. I forgot about yeah, that. the Carolina game. Yeah, yep. Ooh, he uh-huh. missed the Minnesota game. Yeah, I, and you can check me. You can. Oh, God, is it Ruben Randall? That's it. Oh, <laughs> Paul's just almost like throw up all over himself. <laughs> well, I figured it wasn't going to be one of their top wide receivers. Well, those you know, guys have been we, we should have guessed Ruben because he was always on the field screwing up the routes and forcing Eli into getting picked <laughs> off. He always walked around here look, looking like he was injured, though. Yeah. Well, no, I'll tell you, no one, no one so. walked slower down the hallway than Ruben Randall. He sauntered is what he did. Yes. He didn't walk. It, it, it was he a, sauntered. It was a saunter. You're mm-hmm. right. Nice, mm-hmm. nice guy. The amazing thing is he actually was able to navigate and walk the hallways correctly. He just couldn't remember the routes. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering, you know, if, if, if we should start viewing wide receivers similarly to, to how we review to how we view running backs. You know, the, the, this past year, Kenny Galladay played the most games of any wide receiver, which is 14. Yeah, you know, I'm wondering if you can – you know, you get to the point where you just you can't take a wide receiver at the top of the first round anymore. Nah, I, I don't. I don't think it's that heavy, Jonathan, because I do think the wide receiver mm-hmm. impacts the game a lot. Jamar the Chase, you, the way you help the quarterback, the way you make the defense, you know, shift the safety over. I think that superstar wide. And again, I'm talking superstar wide receiver. Well, the, Bengals, you know? the Bengals aren't sorry, John. No, exactly. And it, we all thought that, by the way, that going in. We all knew that it was probably him or the offensive lineman, and right. most of us thought yeah. the lineman would be smarter. They got the last laugh, I, I think even had, though their their, their line gave up a lot of sacks. Yeah, Jonathan, I, I think that star wide receiver does impact the game more than the star running back does because, like I said, the, like the star running back needs a good offensive line in front of him. If you have a star running back and your offensive line stinks, it's not going to help anything. But that star wide receiver will shift coverage; it'll open it up for other people. I yes. Now, am I picking a wide receiver that I think is just going to be good at the top of the draft? No, because to your point, it's so deep now, I don't think you have to. And you look at Justin Jefferson, what he's done for the Minnesota Vikings. I mean, there's another guy. I know he didn't go as high as Jamar Chase, but he's been a huge difference maker, and he's played in every single game in each of his first two seasons. So I absolutely think a wide receiver still has value, and if you can get him high in the draft, I wouldn't hesitate. I think there's depth. As I pointed out, there's a lot of good playmakers that were selected in the second round. 
But Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase noticed we're not comparing those two guys to other players that went in the second and the third round in recent history. Debo Samuel's another guy. He wasn't taken in the first round, but Samuel is utilized because of Kyle Shanahan's offense, similar to a running back and a jack-of-all-trades. So sometimes the system maximizes the value of the wide receiver, but guys like A.J. Brown, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, I mean, they're significant difference makers, as you know, John mentioned. Wasn't if AJ, they could demand the double coverage, that is huge. Wasn't A.J. Offense. Brown a second-round pick, though? Was A.J. Brown a second-round pick? I think A.J. Brown was a second-round pick. Second he was okay. a second-round so, Well, I still look at him, round. though, as oh, a difference maker in terms Absolutely. of wide receiver sure. position. I thought yeah. Waddle had a hell of a rookie season. No, Waddle he, was great. He yeah, turned out. And, and, and yeah. by the way, that was in an offense that was shackled by bad offensive line. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And yet you could make a very strong argument. They got value out of that pick. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he was like the only wide receiver they threw the ball to. Because I was looking at the last five years. I know the Giants... They've only had two wide receivers play a full season over the last five years. It was uh, Slayton well, in 2020. Pick, pick any position you want. The Giants have been the most injured team in the last decade. I mean, Jonathan, that's, generally speaking, wide receivers are a pretty durable position. Like, wide receivers will last and play a while. It's, it's not like they, they're one of these positions that are constantly beat up and can't stay on the field. I don't know. I mean, you know, Slayton had played in the full season in 2020 and Shepard the full season in 2018. Other than that, no, but I understand, but no, no but Jonathan, that, that's one team. Look at the league. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Giants did have, um, you see, like, uh, Leonard Williams, you know, and Austin Johnson, they, they seem to be, um, you know, a lot of the, the, the defensive linemen seem to be pretty pretty durable. So, I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe the Giants are kind of an anomaly, but it seems like the wide receivers have been, been hit pretty hard for us the last five years. Thank you for the call, Jonathan. Appreciate it. Hey, look, and you're right. For the Giants, yeah, the wide receivers have not been able to stay healthy. No question about that. Yeah, you're but that shouldn't that. be a hesitation as to why you shouldn't take a guy in the first round Correct. if you really like him. Correct. I mean, just because maybe two or three guys don't work out doesn't mean that you should pass up on a guy who could very well pan out to be durable. Washington, for example, I mean, I'm just going off the top of my head, they've dealt with some injuries at the receiving core. Outside of Terry McLaurin, you know, they really haven't had a reliable number two guy. Curtis Samuel, who you remember they signed from Carolina, he barely played this past season. Yep. And Logan Thomas, their tight end, who really is a pseudo-wide receiver, you know, he was hurt this year as well. So I could give you other teams aside from the Giants, that didn't have their full force of weaponry. The, I don't think the, the Giants are unique. The ironic part about this Terry McLaurin, by the way, another good second-round wide oh, yeah. receiver. Yeah. The ironic part about this entire conversation here about the receivers is that the greatest receiver in Giants history, Imani Toomer, the most prolific, who has all their receiving records, actually had two ACLs early in his career. Also a second-round pick or third? Second-round. Second-round second round out of yeah. Michigan mm-hmm. and came back from two devastating injuries at a time when ACLs were thought to be much more career-threatening than they are today and still turned out to have, I believe, 6,000-yard seasons and owns every record that there is in the Giants' yeah, record book. For sure. 201-939-4513. Let's wrap it up with Mark in New Jersey on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Hey, Mark. Uh, how you guys doing, Lance, uh, John, and, um, and um, Paul? Uh, thanks for shouting me out to Chris Brown. I'm the Bills fan who calls all the time. <laughs> he did, yes. <laughs> well, I mentioned to Chris that we, we had a Bills fan that calls the show. Oh, cool. Yeah, one of those deals. Well, you guys are my bridge to one Bills, uh, one Bills live between twelve and one. They don't. There's nothing on air that I, I, I listen to over there. So you guys are still that for me. <laughs> Happy to be that bridge for you. Cool. <laughs> and I like you guys, but you're great. Um, and I want you to guys to draft the lineman. So, uh, so what's his name up in Maine? Stops calling about Will Beatty. Yes, we like, all agree. Can... <laughs> 
We all agree. Thank you. Like, you don't well, have listen, to hear the, that. The team shouldn't do anything to appease him, okay? Well, so no. I, I don't know if that well, should be your motivation. For your, Added it's bonus. For your guys sake. It's well, for your yeah, guys for, sake. well, we could survive, though. And he's not going to change regardless. That's One true. offensive lineman, you think that's going to end the narrative? Come on. Yeah, he'll be like, come on, Charles Cross? You know yeah. who he's not as good at? Will Beatty. <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> oh, what he'll call yeah. up and say. I promise you. That was the best part about seeing you guys on the uh, the, the when you guys would have the video cast um, when you guys would be over um, on the video cast is watching your guys's well particularly Lance's visceral reaction to whatever Charlie said. <laughs> yep, that sounds about right. <laughs> I would I would just I would I would savor that moment because it was hilarious. You couldn't make that up. Um, I did call about Tyrell Smith last week, and I, I'm no insider. I'm a nobody. I'm just a guy here in Jersey City. But I heard. Nothing but great things from Bill's people that I like. Mm-hmm. That they love him. He's he's one of those guys that's liked a lot more than the draft Knicks believe or think. And the way he tested, the way he interviewed, and Paul hit the nail on the head. You can't teach nasty. There's nothing worse than a big guy that's soft. It is the worst thing in the world, especially at that level. I can't imagine. Like you, you got to be a mean sob to be up there and just get into how many, like, well, how many offensive plays is there between the games? Between sixty, seventy-five. You got to basically get into a fight that many times mm-hmm. and win and win. And the Bills' biggest problem was on the interior, and that was what I heard is what they viewed him as a. He has position flex, but they would view him inside at one of the guard spots just to get him going. The only thing you got, the only thing you got to worry about with a junkyard dog. And I think that every team needs one or two of those kinds of guys. And by the way, he had like 16 penalties last year, by the way, and like 11 holding penalties. That's where I'm going, John. (laughs) If the guy is a junkyard dog, but he doesn't have enough discipline to understand how to use that ferocity, now what you have is a guy who's too reckless and is going to cost you too much because he will play out of control. He'll get too sloppy. Well, he's raw, too, right? That's why he holds, because he's raw. Now, Tyler Lewan had that same rep when he was coming out of school some years ago. By the way, Trevor Penning named him as his NFL comp, the guy did that he? he looks up to. Yeah. Doesn't surprise me Which is me what I bit. called last week. Remember I said that on the show? I remember yeah, you yeah, did yeah. say. I was, I was like, hey, I got one right. How about that? And and so, <laughs> what, and, and of course, Lawan has turned out to be fine. Yeah. He, he did soften a couple of the edges to make sure that he didn't get reckless and didn't get too sloppy and turned into a terrific NFL offensive lineman. So that's that fine line. I get it. I I think you got to have one of those guys. Look, Richie Soybert, he was a junkyard dog for the Giants. Make no mistake about it, and so was Chris Snee. Junkyard dog, when it came time to snap the football, those two guys would take your head off in a moment's notice. The question becomes, where do you draw that line to where it becomes too dangerous because they're too sloppy and too reckless? Well, and that's why I don't know if I want to take a junkyard dog in the first round if there's questions about his finesse and his technique. Yep. That would concern me. Well, I, I don't think I don't think the three guys we talked about before, Penning, Smith, and and uh, um, well, Penning and, also led his conference in tackles and, 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 and penalties last year. Yeah, I should say. and yeah. Green, those three junkyard dogs I talked about, I all said they're not top five no. overall. No, they but they could go in the first correct. round. Is yep. my they point. could? Well, they, that's what I'm they saying. Could. That, yeah, that's what this draft is, man. <laughs> Someone, you know, the, the call before said there's no perfect prospect. They're right. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate the call. By the way. Lads, I don't know if you have an NFL Network on where you're at. The Browns just franchise tag David Yeah, David Njoku. Njoku. I did see that. Yeah. He barely plays half the snaps for them. They signed the guy from uh, the Falcons uh, last year. Tell me out, Lance. The tight end they signed for the Falcons last year as a free agent. Oh, shoot. Yeah, I know who you're yeah. talking about. Um, 
He's also had injury history too. Yeah, That's well, they've had a lot doing? of guys. Now that the Brown, fr- now the big the t- banged up. The tight end franchise tag isn't big. I think it's only like no, it's eight, about ten million, eight or ten million, 10. right? Yeah, Austin Hooper, you're talking Austin about. Hooper. Thank right. you. Like that, that isn't a big that that isn't a big number. But why would you waste the tag? I mean, maybe on there's, him? maybe there's no one else they want to use the tag on. You don't have to. You no. don't have to use the tag. I mean, I mean, what would he? I mean, what would he get in free agency? And I'll be honest with you, it's not like you're thinking of tagging him to trade him because there were so many tight ends no, in the draft. No, no. Yeah, that's weird to me. I don't know if I get that one. Look, coming out of school, you know I love the guy like, I coming s- out of school, but he has been nothing but a but a, yeah. a less than stellar now, I could NFL see, I player. Could, if the Cowboys let go of like, Amari Cooper, I could see them. If they want to like franchise Dalton Schultz to keep him around for a year for $10 million, the way he had played last Ooh, year. Well, I especially because Blake Jarwin that. is hurt, too. Yeah, because yeah. Jarwin's so, out for the year. That yeah. I could see. Because at least they're going to use him for 90% mm-hmm. of the snaps, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like he, was, he wasn't even playing half the time in the middle of the year. That's a real shocker. Yeah. Najoku did come alive, though, late in the season. Oh, did he? He made yeah, some plays, I mean, but... I he mean, did. He had some of his best playing. games late in the year. No, I don't disagree. I mean, he certainly wasn't a guy that they were involving in the game plan heavily each and every week. But if you look at his log, late in the season, they did increase his targets... So I think there's something that Stefanski obviously sees that he could build upon moving forward, and I don't think Hooper is as an explosive the type no, of no, guy that Njoku is. Right. Not at all. So, you know, that could be perhaps the rationale. Here's another thing to take into consideration, guys. Well, they already got rid of Odell Beckham. Jarvis Landry's yeah. a free agent. They may be thinking the tight end could play a prevalent role in their offense Yeah, 12 next personnel, season. right? They'll yeah. be using a lot of two tight end sets. Possibly. All right, Lance, good stuff. Paul, good stuff. Yeah, it was fun. Absolutely. And Lance and Paul, I believe, are solo tomorrow on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Make sure you guys go check that out. They'll continue to take your calls and talk about the NFL Combine. And then remember, guys, we're just about 10 days away from the start of free agency. I think it's actually nine from today. I think well, next- the tag deadline, by yeah. the way, is tomorrow. So. Tag- yeah. Is. yeah, so Paul and Lance can talk about that as well. Um, I know the league year starts next Wednesday at 4, if I'm not mistaken. And I think that means the negotiating window I believe is Monday at four, if I'm not mistaken, I, or I something. Forget, John. Hey, well, the I'm 16th old. is the start of the new league year. That I can yes. tell you. Yes, that yes. I can confirm. That's that is true. next yes. Wednesday. I do not know yeah. off the top of my head when the negotiating window opens. It's usually two days, isn't it? Forty hours. Usually? It normally is two I days. I want to say it's yeah. the 14th. So it's probably well, that would be Monday. It's probably Monday yeah. at four o'clock. League yep. year starts Wednesday yep. at four o'clock. So of course. Uh, we will slowly no, f- start. Uh, 12 p.m. Eastern on Monday. Oh, noon. Is when Monday. the negotiating period. Ooh, that's yes. even exciting. Begins. For the start of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We'll have to try not to get fired by saying something we shouldn't in that hour span when something's not official. <laughs> then, of course, watch the out times. for the trades that could yes. happen before that. Exactly. All right, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Thanks for being with us. Happy you enjoyed the combine coverage. We'll see you next time.